Hey there, you've reached The Desk, the podcast where we discover the stories of those who have made the Daily Californian what it is. I'm Carissa, your host for this episode, and this week I spoke to Adrian Shi, current editor for New York Times Opinion, formerly at the Washington Post and Los Angeles Times. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the show. So my name is Adrian Shi. Um, I am a Berkeley graduate of the class of 2018. So it's been four years since I graduated from undergrad. Um, I am originally from Taipei, Taiwan, so pretty far away from home right now. Um, And currently I call Washington, D.C. home. So I've actually been here uh, since I graduated from Berkeley. So it's been four years. I majored in legal studies and political economy um, in undergrad, which I feel like was a very common combination for a lot of people at Daily Cal (laughs) because you did not have a journalism degree. So yeah, totally. Um, I'm taking my first poly econ class this semester ever just because it gets, it gets my philosophy breadth in. And um, there are people on our like B courses forums going off with like two paragraph reading memos that are really in the weeds and it's just, it's kind of aggressive actually. So that sounds very familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I'm (laughs) sure you're well acquainted with that. Um, But that is a, that's an interesting combo. And I I would like to hear a a bit more about how, if at all, your kind of major formed your journalistic pursuits, because you've been in journalism for a long time and clearly you've loved it enough to stay in it. Um, So I'd love to hear more about just kind of your college experience leading into your career. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I started at Berkeley wanting to be an English major, Um, decided pretty early on that it wasn't for me. (laughs) Um, I think like a love for writing and I guess reporting doesn't necessarily always translate into like a love of like literature analysis, like literary analysis for lack of better words. Yeah. Um, But I chose legal studies and political economy, actually, because uh, when I started at the Daily Cal, I um, fell in love with city reporting. Um, So I actually started off, um, my first beat on the news desk was um, covering Berkeley city government. So all the local bodies um, covering like commissions, zoning boards, things like that. And I think you know, learning about how the city worked really, you know, influenced what I wanted to study. Um, So in addition to the two majors, I did a city planning minor. I think that was like directly impacted by like seeing how the city ran. Very early on in my career, when I was still an undergrad, I had thought that once I graduated from Berkeley, I wanted to be like a local government reporter. Um, or like a skatehouse reporter. So I was like, legal studies and political economy seem like a great combination to like inform <laughs> inform me on, you know, all of those sorts of things. Uh, not how the, my career has turned out so far, but we can get into that a little bit later. But yeah, I think the majors definitely were helpful in, you know, in my reporting at the Daily Cal and just how I see the world now. Cheesy answer, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. So why city reporting and how did that kind of lead you to your first job out of college? Yeah, city reporting was exciting to me. As you know, living in the city of Berkeley, there are things happening all the time. Um, When I was a freshman, so my I joined the Daily Cal my first semester of college as a freshman. Um, There were pretty intense protests um, 
that year or that semester specifically, there were Black Lives Matter protests that, um, you know, occurred in the city. And I, along with, you know, my cohort of um, general assignment reporters, we basically, I think the end of our first semester, were sent in to cover these protests. We, you know, walked with protesters on freeways. We covered, you know, the aftermath of how the Berkeley Police Department, you know, approached these protests. We, you know, we covered all of these city council meetings where people went and gave firsthand accounts. I think, you know, it was very exciting to think that the Daily Cal is sort of the news source for the community. And the fact that we were there covering ongoings in the city was really, really exciting. I think city reporting and that sort of experience didn't necessarily inform like any of my first few jobs out of out of undergrad. I think I realized pretty early on, even when I was still in school, that, you know, maybe reporting necessarily wasn't for me. Um, so my career so far has mainly been in editing. I did realize, I don't know if this answers your question too, but I was executive news editor my sophomore year. And I think that experience was like very formative in, you know, shaping the kind of career that I have now. That's so interesting. I love hearing about how people's early, early work at Daily Cow kind yeah. of, uh, they carried <laughs> with them through yeah. the rest of their careers. But so editing, would you just tell us more about your, your work so far in editing and how you got started in it? What, what the process is like for people who are looking to, to get started in editing? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think editing is just, I mean, as you can probably imagine, just such a broad term. There's, there are so many different types of editing. Um, you have, you know, kind of your traditional line editors who are doing, you know, looking at drafts, making edits, working directly with writers and reporters. I feel like that's kind of the more traditional side of editing. And then there's also kind of this like newer side of editing, which is like working with social media, working on breaking news, um, working on more the digital side of a news product. And I think so far in my career, I've been able to marry those two sides together. So in my current job at the New York Times, um, I handle a lot of digital strategy, um, which I honestly kind of got a start in when I was at the Daily Cal. Um, <laughs> but I also do a lot of the more traditional line editing. So that's things like editing newsletters, editing guest essays, um, things like that. And I think in terms of folks who want to get into it, honestly, this is, again, very cheesy, but starting somewhere like the Daily Cal is really, really helpful. Like I sometimes still think about when I was an editor at the Daily Cal, sitting down with reporters really late at night talking with reporters, explaining why I made specific edits. And I think a lot of it was sort of incubated. Like that kind of workflow was very incubated with an undergrad because I did a lot of that. That's awesome. The New York Times is amazing. We are all obviously huge fans of the New York Times, but I would love to hear more about kind of your day-to-day -day work, what, what you kind of do, what you did today maybe, yeah. um, and kind of what proportion of your work maybe is that more traditional editing mm -hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, these newer kind of digital oriented forms that you were talking about? Yeah. So um I think the best part of being an editor is that no day is the same. You're, you know, with the amount that I specifically work at New York Times Opinion. So the volume that we publish per day, I think, you know, there's always something new that's coming out or there's a new project that we're working on as a team. So that's always very exciting. I would say in my current role, I'm probably like 
two thirds sort of that digital strategy audience engagement side work, and then one third your more traditional editing. So right now on a weekly basis, I'm editing like two to three newsletters. So we'll have columnists who write specific newsletters um, on a variety of different topics. And there's a team of people who just edit newsletters and I'm working on that team right now. So I think as somebody who is newer to the company is relatively early in their career, I feel like editing something a little bit more short form like that has been very helpful. You're not, you know, doing the 5,000 words, like super investigative guest essay, um, but you're working up to something hopefully like that in the future. Um, and I guess in terms of the other part of my job working on digital strategy, I think as with most newsrooms, there's such a big pivot now to digital, thinking about things like digital presentation, like how does an interactive look on the site, um, working with designers on how to present that, um, working with writers on headlines, um, and then thinking about promotion and presentation on social media. I think that's a really big one. And then thinking about, you know, are there social platforms that we're not on that we should be? What sorts of experiments can we do? Like what other newsrooms are doing cool experiments on different platforms that we might want to try? What are things that no one's doing that we want to try? Um, so <laughs> it sounds very like unstructured and kind of hypothetical, but like a big part of my job is thinking about those things. So I feel like that's harder to explain on sort of like a day-to-day -day basis, but every day I'll kind of just be doing competitor analysis, seeing what other people are doing, trying to bring, you know, case studies back to see if we can try to do something similar. And then, yeah, a big part of the job really is just like making sure our writers and other editors know, know have digital skills and have digital savvy. So a big part of my job too is like training other people, like digital best practices. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've I've recently been really, really loving the New York Times' interactive um, pieces. You know what I loved um, is the I Was Wrong series. I thought that was oh so my gosh, well done. Yeah. That was so uh, cool. Yeah, I really, really liked that one too. Yeah, I, um, yeah it's uh, it's funny to, to see and read the different things that people are willing to admit that they're wrong about, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a really fun, a really fun project. <laughs> um, do you have any other favorite projects that you've worked on or, or maybe projects that are in the works? Um, yeah. Don't um, tell us anything confidential. But. <laughs> we did a really big climate project at the end of last year. I feel like mm -hmm. that was our big, big project from opinion. Um, it basically involved like a little vignette from basically every single country about how climate change has affected um, its landscape, its citizens, um, how specific countries are addressing climate change, how some countries aren't addressing climate change. Um, and it was really cool because we incorporated these sort of short form videos, kind of like TikTok style videos of different climate activists for some of the countries. Um, so we got a chance to interview like very young climate activists who were in high school, in, like mm -hmm. various countries, um, which was very interesting. Um, and yeah, that one was like a huge, just department wide push. Like it was basically all hands on deck, like everybody wrote something I feel like and everybody edited a little piece of something yeah I think just a real testament of you know what kinds of products and projects we can push out when everybody in the department is involved so you also just mentioned being recently or, or kind of relatively new in your career and before the New York Times it was LA Times um, yeah. and I'm curious about kind of 
the the similarities and the differences between your roles at these two news outlets and um, kind of what your what your engagement work was like at the LA Times? Yeah, so the LA Times is kind of my first big job out of um, undergrad. I was there for like two and a half years. Um, so the job was different, I guess, kind of in the scope of it. Um, so I was based in the DC Bureau and worked there pretty much all through the 2020 election cycle. So I joined in 2019 and left the company at the end of 2021. So a big part of my job there was working on political breaking news. I did kind of the more traditional audience engagement work. So things like working on you know social media, the same thing about teaching reporters and editors like digital best practices, working with our teams in LA on things like search engine optimization and like digital trends to make sure we were covering things that people were interested in in such a busy news cycle. Um, I think that job was more fast paced than the one that I have now. Um, so intense in kind of a different way. Just every day there was a new news story. I was working like very odd hours. I was working weekends. It was very exhilarating, but like very exhausting, I think. Um, I took a lot away from that job, though. I think, you know, coming to somewhere like New York Times Opinion, where the pace might be a tad slower, having that kind of breaking news mentality and being able to think quickly on your feet is super helpful because, you know, in every job in journalism, no matter what you're covering or no matter what the medium is, I think accuracy and speed are both very important. Um, So that's something that I, I feel like I was able to bring to my current job. Um, and I think, you know, working at the LA Times, um, a newspaper that quite obviously, you know, focuses on California was interesting as someone who, you know, spent a lot of time in California, obviously went to school in California. It was interesting to sort of take these big national issues, these big, you know, political themes and see how we could tailor them to the California audience. You know, like covering California politicians, but also thinking about themes like immigration, climate, things like that, and, you know, trying to find big national stories that would be interesting to a California audience, but also finding, you know, smaller California stories or local California stories that might resonate to a national audience. I read a lot of Joan Didion. I'm a big Joan Didion girl. And yeah. <laughs> something I think about a lot is like yeah. the California audience, and like who yeah. the Californian person is. Um, yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I guess, what are, what can you tell us about you know, the California audience and um, for you have like a a unique and global perspective. And just Mm -hmm. I'm I'm curious about how that kind of informs your work and and also kind of having to cater and be flexible um, with different kinds of audience. Yeah, I think I like you said, I think, you know, going to school in California and living there for, for quite a while, I think I kind of had an advantage of what I thought Californians liked reading or were interested in. I think one of, you know, for for people who don't live in California or who don't have, you know, an inherent California connection, I think they sometimes think in their minds like, oh, Californians are so different. You know, California could be its own country. It's like its own identity, which I think to some extent is probably true. But I think, you know, like Californians are still very interested in things that people in New York are interested in or people who live in the middle of the country are interested in, right? Um, I think, you know, the sorts of things that directly impact Californian communities, though, um, might be a little bit more specific. Like, I think we did a huge push on federal funding for things like wildfires. You know, that was like a very California-centric and California-specific story. 
Um, but, you know, there were people outside of California who'd read those stories and still be interested because, you know, as climate change progresses, you know, that sort of catastrophic fire, you know, season might affect communities outside of California. So I think people like, I think the phrase that they used at the LA Times a lot, which is pretty apt, is like, all eyes are on California because California like sets a lot of precedent <laughs> in good and yeah. bad ways. Like another thing I can think of is like, California is pretty progressive in their electric vehicle laws. Mm -hmm. um, and that could be something that, you know, California sets a huge precedent on that, like the rest of the country or other states might follow suit in. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's interesting to hear. Um, you also mentioned that this role at the LA Times was very taxing and, and labor intensive. And so I'm wondering if there are any kind of specific experiences you can point to that were moments when you both realize the the importance of having that breaking news mindset, but also moments when you realized you had to, you know, save yourself from burnout or or maybe yeah. any strategies you have to kind of cope with that kind of work. Yeah, that's a it's a really good question. I think the question and topic of burnout is still something that I, I think about a lot. Um, I feel like there is not there's no one size fits all solution, you know, for burnout. Um, I, I think there's a moment Honestly, I feel like the just how crazy the news cycle was in 2020 paired with COVID and, you know, there were all these things that just news kept, it felt like it was relentless. I feel like that kind of weirdly fueled this adrenaline for me where I was able to kind of work through it, maybe not in the healthiest way, but it was able to kind of fuel me basically through the whole election and then into the aftermath. And I think it wasn't until like, you know, the beginning of 2021 and after what felt like an endless um, election cycle that I was kind of like, oh, wow, I did that. But also, oh, wow, I am so exhausted. Um, so I think like for a lot of journalists, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, I think, you know, being very honest with your manager and explaining what sort of mental space you're in is really important. I think I know a lot of people like this and I feel like, you know, this is kind of one of Several personal downfalls, I guess, um, is, you know, I think it's very easy to kind of like be quiet about these sorts of things. Um, but the one thing I learned is, you know, you should definitely talk to your manager if you're feeling burned out. Like you are definitely not the only one. And I think having other people sort of realize how you're feeling, talking through it with them, trying to find like humane solutions, um, I think is, you know, the best way to go. But mm -hmm. definitely, like, take time to decompress. When I finished, well, basically, when I finished my job at the LA Times, I feel like I was under so much news fatigue that I basically, like, unfollowed every single news outlet on Twitter just because <laughs> I was like, I absolutely need to decompress, like, only be scrolling on TikTok and, you know, having absolutely like mindless scrolling and not be inundated with news alerts so for, definitely for a period of time I was like no news yeah, yeah totally and what you just mentioned about being quiet I, I don't think mm -hmm. that's a personal downfall I think it's also a cultural thing that kind of Asians in general have have upheld um negatively and mm -hmm. and you know it's, it's a cultural norm um yeah and one that needs to be broken but yeah I am really curious about your work with 
the Asian American Journalist mm-hmm. Association and kind of what that has meant to you and how you got started with that. Mm-hmm. Are there any pieces of mentorship advice that you might have for listeners? Yeah. So I was very lucky to um, to get involved in AAJ pretty early in my career. Um, I think I, I had known about it um, in undergrad uh, when I was at Berkeley, but I think formally joined and then got more involved when I first moved to DC. So AJ has a bunch of different chapters around the country. So we have a very vibrant DC chapter. Um, and, you know, I had at that point interned in several newsrooms and, you know, kind of felt like I didn't really see a lot of people who looked like me or had a similar cultural background as my own. And being an AJ, I think, as cheesy as it sounds, like really made me feel like, you know, there are other people in this industry who share a similar background as you, who, you know, might have similar concerns as you, who might also feel kind of like one in a giant pool of people who don't look like you, you know? Um, So it was really great to kind of share stories and experiences with other people. And I made a ton of friends through AJ in DC. And I feel like it was one of the first places where I made friends when I moved here. I didn't really have that many friends when I first uh, moved to DC. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, in terms of mentorship, um, you know, definitely have people who are in your corner. Um, I think mentorship is really a two way street. Um, like I have mentored people in kind of a formal capacity and I've also been someone else's mentee. Um, and I feel like kind of being in both of those positions, you sort of learn like, oh, when you have mentees, you're there to listen, but they can also teach you things too. Like you're not just there to talk at them. Like that's not a good successful mentorship structure or relationship. Um, And I think, you know, when you're a mentee, you should definitely be prepared with questions um, for your mentor. Um, And, you know, like you can teach your mentor something too. You know, it's not, I feel like mentorship doesn't necessarily need to be this like weird hierarchical (laughs) relationship. Like, of course you can both teach each other something. I like learn things from my mentees like all the time. But yeah, like definitely have like structured check-ins with people, make sure, you know, to share the good and the bad. Um, I think it's great. Like your mentor should be somebody who like gives you advice, but also can celebrate wins with you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big believer in the power and importance of mentorship. Um, Yeah. I'm wondering if there are mentors that you can point to in your life that kind of have been aligned with pivotal moments in your career thus far um, and what it's kind of been like to to have that mentorship guidance um, as you're starting out in journalism. Yeah. um, I've been very lucky in my career thus far to have a lot of very strong mentors, people who I've been able to tap, tap it and every time I've like had a big (laughs) career question or like career conundrum, I'm especially grateful for a mentor I had, um, who's actually my internship manager when I interned at the Washington post, um, the summer after I graduated from Berkeley. So Ryan Kellett, who was, um, at the time director of audience at the Washington post. Um, I feel like he's one of those mentors who, you know, I've never really had someone who I look up to, uh, necessarily do this. I feel like every time you sort of ask a mentor for advice, they try their best to give you like very specific instructions. But Ryan is the kind of person who you'll co- go to him with 
I feel like a, a conundrum or like a question or like, a, what should I do in this situation? And he really doesn't like give you specific advice, but he <laughs> asks you questions back <laughs> so that you can think through, you know, the pros and cons. And I think like, mm. I don't know how he does it, <laughs> but that's just, I feel like, you know, the sign of a great mentor. Like you don't necessarily need to be giving people like, this is what I think you should do or like the strong directives, but just framing things in a way where the person like can think about things more. Um, but anyways, he was very instrumental in basically like every time I've had a career pivot or career jump, mm. he's been a good yeah. sounding board for me. That's awesome. Um, and yeah. I think what you're saying about like not having all the answers, but being able to think through it is like mm-hmm. also a big goal of, of journalistic endeavors in the first yeah. place. So yeah. I love seeing that through line. Kind of going back to your mention of career jumps, um, I'm wondering how you moved from the LA Times to the New York Times mm-hmm. and what that transition was like um, and why you decided to leave the LA Times. Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like when I was considering moving jobs, you know, I had been at the LA Times for a while. I loved the people that I worked with. I think, you know, I worked with some of the smartest people in the industry. I was very lucky to be surrounded by a lot of young people. Um, I think the LA Times was and probably will be the most diverse newsroom I've ever worked in. Um, So I was very glad to have that very early in my career. Um, I think, you know, when I was considering um, coming over to the New York Times, um, it was a variety of things. I think I wanted to work in a newsroom where there were a lot of different resources and opportunities within the newsroom. Not to say that wasn't present at the LA Times, but I think the New York Times is at, you know, kind of a scale where you're you're able to do that. Um, I felt a little bit burned out from the constant news cycle. I think I would be lying to myself if I thought that, you know, doing breaking news was sustainable for my own career like for Mm -hmm. years and years and there are a lot of people who do it for their whole career and that is sustainable to them but I think there was a realization for myself like I can't do this forever I can always come back to it but right now you know working somewhere like a New York Times opinion where the pace may be a little bit slower is what I want and and need because like I want to have a sustainable long career in journalism um so yeah I basically told myself if in a few years, you want to go back to breaking news, like that will always be there for you. Not having a great, you know, work-life balance, you know, being really tired all the time, like that will, that will only like constrain your career. Yeah, absolutely. It's an important realization to have. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And good that you had it early on too. Yeah. I I do like, I'm, you know, I think about that a lot. Like it's better to kind of realize that you're maybe a little burned out early so that you can do something about it rather than like you're burned out for years and years and don't even realize (laughs) and then you're like now what do I do (laughs) yeah yeah okay wrapping up here just my final question you you just talked about you know wanting to have a long and sustainable and and holistic uh, career in journalism and I'm wondering what that to look like yeah that's a good question um I think about this all the time I think I am kind of positioned in this niche of journalism where I work with a lot of things that are new. I work with a lot of things like social platforms, um, different technologies, 
um, trying to reach new audiences. I feel like the word new kind of is like the through line there. <laughs> so I think the exciting and kind of scary thing is like, I don't know what this job will look like in even, you know, five or 10 years. The sort of platforms that we frequent now and the technologies we use now are so different than even when I started as an intern in undergrad working on like a social media desk. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that is the exciting part of working kind of in the digital space is you really don't know what it's going to look like. Things are changing all the time. I think that is also one of the reasons why I would love to continue working in digital because I feel like it's an exciting journey there. You can teach people different things. Um, you're sort of at the cutting edge of a bunch of different things. People kind of come to you as an authority on, on all of these things. I think that's really, that's really um, fascinating. Um, so hopefully I can continue doing this. Who knows if I would want to go back into breaking news. I feel like I've always kind of had that itch to be working under <laughs> really <laughs> tight deadlines and under sort of that time pressure. So maybe I'll go back into doing that, but I don't know. Um, I've also, you know, considered potentially moving abroad, um, and working for a news outlet abroad. And, uh, I feel like that would be really exciting. So <laughs> All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out for you. Um, thank you so much for being on. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for all of your advice and your stories. Um, we appreciate it so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. We so appreciate you being here with us at the desk. Special thanks to our producers at the Daily Californian Multimedia Department and to our home team, the design department. We'll see you next time.